0: Hello and welcome to the Artsy podcast, where three editors take you around the art world. I'm your host Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by senior editor Tess Thakura. Hey, Isaac. And our normal producer coming out from the shadows to be a, to be a voice on the podcast, Abigail Kane.
1: Out from the shadows, you make me sound like I'm a vampire or something. It
0: is sometimes gets a little Phantom of the Opera, but you know we'll leave it there. <laughs> So this week we're going to be talking about bad art, not just, you know, what I do when I'm trying to doodle, but it's actually a real artistic movement. Abby, you wrote a piece on this, which published a few weeks ago. What exactly is bad art?
1: Well, just to start off to clarify, A, it's bad painting specifically, and B, it's not really a movement per se. It is a collection of artists who are working in a similar vein or, like, with a similar attitude, but there were a lot of artists in a lot of different places who were doing it, and most of them had no connection to one another.
0: Um, so when we say bad painting, your distinction there is that the scholarship, the history, the investigation into this by artists and, and institutions alike has focused on painting. It's not been sculpture. It's not been video. It's, it's painting. Exactly. So who, if it's not a movement, how How is the term coined?
1: The term was actually coined in the 1970s um, during this new museum show um, that was put on by the curator, Marsha Tucker, and she called the actual show Bad Painting, although bad was in scare quotes. And she, in her catalog, is like, when I say bad painting, what I mean is good painting. <laughs> uh,
0: perfect. That makes perfect sense. Like
1: a perfect art world riddle. Yeah. <laughs> So the actual term, like the phrase bad painting, that came about in the 70s. But the strategy of making art came about much earlier. So,
0: But how was the categorization defined for the exhibition? I mean, like, what's the definition here of bad art?
1: Bad painting.
2: Sorry, bad painting.
0: Bad
1: painting. <laughs> um, well, the exhibition is more specific, but I'll say more generally, bad painting is artwork that goes against the prevailing trends at the time so that's a very general definition you could say a ton of art goes against the prevailing trends of the time but the thing with bad painting is it's going against oftentimes like the avant-garde so first you'll have a traditional style of painting then the avant-garde artists will reject that and make their own style but then that style will have its own rules and sort of traditions and then these bad painters come in and they're like we don't really like your new rules either we're
2: gonna do our own thing so it seems like all of these artists essentially as sort of refusing to accept any orthodoxy that might become established alongside an art movement.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so it's not just that they're rejecting traditional modes of painting. They're rejecting all of the rules that may be set up. They're rejecting like the art establishment.
0: So that's a valuable distinction between some of the paintings. You maybe begin the piece by mentioning, you know, Picasso works and other sort of avant-garde artists who were hated by the establishment at the time. But then again, bad artists would look at Picasso and be like, well, that I'm not going to do that either.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there were tons of things that we think of as masterpieces today, like Manet's Olympia, for example, that people at the time reviled, like critics thought they were horrible. And those those things don't fit into the category of bad painting because we look at them now as modern masterpieces.
0: Right. Something you sort of said yesterday was that those works were sort of considered bad because they were so ahead of their time. Bad, bad in scare quotes painting is considered bad because it's so backwards looking and it's intentionally subverting.
1: Yeah, exactly. That that was one of the things that they pointed out in the 1970s show at the New Museum. It's that it sort of subverts this idea of progress because they're making a different style of art, but it's a style that very much looks backward at like art historical things, at things that are sort of outmoded or outdated, which is why painting is so important
2: so they weren't trying to create something new essentially they were trying to offend
1: well they, I mean I guess they I think they were creating something new but it was sort of like a mishmash of old things to make something new yeah they weren't they weren't trying to like be the cutting edge in the way that like abstract expressionism was or cubism was
0: so what are some examples of quote-unquote bad painting
1: well, some of the earliest examples are by Francis Picabia, who had his big moment at MoMA a couple of months ago. He's really interesting. I mean, he sort of like embodies the ethos of bad painting because he was so ambivalent about artistic styles. I wrote this whole piece about it, so I know maybe more than I should about Francis Picabia, but he started out as an impressionist. Then he was a surrealist, then a Dadaist. Then he was just like, I'm done with movements and started making these really insane works, um, which a lot of them fit into the mode of bad painting. One series that he did was the Monsters series, which are these like paintings of couples, but they're really weird looking. They they have this like really clumsy brushwork and some of them they have like multiple eyes and lips. So they look kind of like insects. It looks sort of like a painting you might find at a thrift store, like a weird painting you might find at a thrift store.
2: Um, I mean, in that context is kind of interesting too, because I think a lot of these paintings, if you found them at a thrift store, you might think they were pretty terrible yeah like <laughs> then you put them bad. in a then you put them in a museum and we have a slightly different take on them
1: yeah and Picabia did a lot of things that were bad in many different styles so later in his life he would make these paintings sort of like riffing off of uh like these soft core porn images of women naked and they're really bad and very kitschy and very like in bad taste and they actually ended up in these North African brothels um that served Italian fascists and Nazis. I don't, maybe I don't want to Yeah, I mean, there.
0: Pacabia has a very complicated, some would say complicated, others would say quite clear-cut relationship to sort of the fascists and the Nazis because he was in Vichy occupied France. So it's interesting the way in which, I mean, he, he talks about, or he doesn't talk about, people sort of say that those works that you're kind of referring to are intentionally uh, ambiguous or sort of mocking in a way uh, that sort of seems like sometimes bad art quote unquote here is being used as a cover for like real meaning, which is an interesting way to sort of parse those paintings as well. Because I mean, one of the things that we we sort of talked about is whether or not being intentionally bad means it should change how you actually feel about the work. Do you know what I mean? Like,
2: Yeah. Because some of them are quite well executed, right? I mean, you talk about some of them sort of making, trying to make a decision to paint with rough, poor brushstrokes, but like finding it really difficult to to do that because they're so well trained. Mm -hmm.
1: Picabi is an easy example because he's like a very skilled painter. He made these beautiful impressionist paintings when he was young and Mm -hmm. got really famous doing it and then started doing things in really awkward styles. But yeah, that's the tension, I guess, with bad art, because a lot of the work that these artists are making looks like things you would find in a goodwill. (laughs)
0: but they cost much more money than what they would in a goodwill
1: yeah and theoretically the artist who painted them is technically skilled i think the story that tess is referring to is i spoke to this artist neil jenny who was prominently featured in the new museum show and he made this whole series of works that are now actually called the bad paintings although they weren't called that until he was in the show i asked him while we we were talking i was like you know you were painting these very technically skilled paintings before and after these bad paintings. Was it ever hard for you to make something that looked so like naive? And he was like, yeah, actually now that I'm thinking about it, I was painting this work and I accidentally dripped this glob of green paint onto this kid's face. And I looked at it and I was like, that is really bad. I made this promise to myself. I wasn't going to fix any of the mistakes that I made, but that's just too bad. And so he wiped it off. Which I think is just a, a illustrative example that all of the artists who make these quote unquote bad paintings are technically skilled. And that differentiates them from something you might find from an untrained artist who's making something that's just like pretty wacky.
0: So it seems like, you know, bad artists, there is, as you kind of end the piece, there's something is too bad, uh, even for them. But I'm kind of curious, how did people at the time react to these works, both in terms of like critical acceptance, but also in terms of sales?
1: Yeah, I mean, people didn't like Picabia's stuff, but also Picabia didn't care so much that people liked his stuff, and he was also incredibly rich, so it didn't matter if people bought his things. Um, Magritte's probably a good example of someone who had this brief period of bad painting. Um, it's called his period vache, I think, like cow in French. I can't pronounce <laughs> <Yes>. French.
0: <laughs> We're getting a nod from our sit-in producer, Mitch. He's saying that's correct, so...
1: Anyway, so he he made it was it was a you know three or four months that he made these these paintings in, and it was like a handful. It was maybe I think thirty or forty paintings, and they're really weird. I mean, Magritte's paintings are already pretty odd, um, but they're like very like you know beautifully illustrated, very crisp. You know, men in bowler hats, whatever apples. These are like sort of cartoony. There's like a man with three noses, and all of them are plaid patterned.
2: I kind of like them. I really like them too. Yeah. They're kind of They hilarious. remind me of Van Gogh or something a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's sort of, there's such a levity to them. They're, yeah, they're, they're not really pretentious, which is nice. They're just sort of fun.
2: But I mean, this is also illustrative of how our tastes have changed, I think. Mm, and, I mean, I don't think you could do that show at the new museum now because so much of this kind of work is being ushered into the canon. Yeah. yeah, outsider artists, self-taught artists. Yeah, I
0: mean, I was looking through some of the pictures in your piece and I was like, these are just nice. These are great, paintings. exactly. Like, I think these are just like good.
2: These have a lot of personality. Yeah,
0: exactly. They're not really boring, like figurative works. They're like funny and charming. and
2: Which I think also, I mean, the question of why these, this type of work is appealing is a really interesting one. And I think partly for me, it's because there's a pleasure in seeing human failure a little bit. <laughs> and, you know... It's so boring to look at beautiful, perfect things sometimes. It's kind of more fun to see ugly.
1: I think it's a really interesting question, like whether or not bad painting can really exist like in 2017, um, because I mean, the way you guys are talking about it, it being charming and whatever, <laughs> that sort of is the antithesis of what it was trying to do, Right. Quickly, I will say you asked about the reaction of uh, people to the paintings, and for Magritte's, not a single one of them sold. It was a total commercial failure that that show.
2: I think it's interesting to consider how you can really offend someone now with our contemporary day tastes. Um, I mean, I personally feel like Jeff Koons's blown up ballerina is an abomination. But like, I I wouldn't even give it a. I would just think it was completely hideous if I didn't know it was by him. Um, I mean, he's obviously playing on high and low uh, and issues of taste and class, but I'm wondering what you guys think. Is there anything that you think is really foul?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. For me, it comes down to sort of pretension when artists like John Kern or Jeff Kuhn sort of wrap themselves in very highbrow art historical justifications about Duchamp and mannerism only to produce work that feels both kitsch and super expensive and not really funny anymore, it, it it doesn't work. But when the humor is still there, even if there are still some kind of highbrow issues at play, when the when it's still sort of a sense of levity rather than a sense of what you called like an abomination, I think that's when, that's when it's nice. And also the other thing is that, you know, you couldn't erect a giant blow up statue of a ballerina in Rockefeller center or, Versus what you were sort of saying before, Tess, about the pleasure of some of these paintings. It's like, oh, maybe I could paint something that kind of looks like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and and that's totally lost when these people have giant factories that are churning out thousands of artworks that are just kitsch.
1: Yeah, I think there's something maybe there, too, about the price of the artwork, you know? like Definitely. Yeah. All of these works are paintings. Um, and I mean, obviously, like, paint is sort of expensive, Uh, but nowhere near as expensive as like a million, several million dollar, uh, Kuhn sculpture that has to be fabricated specifically in a factory that's probably not in the U.S.
0: But you are also saying that there's something almost more fundamentally challenging about making quote unquote bad art today and that there's no single artistic movements to rebel against. There even, there's no even avant-garde anymore. So how do you, what are you consciously positioning yourself against?
1: So there was a show in 2008 in Vienna that uh, looked at bad painting more generally. And in their catalog essay, they talk about how in the 80s and 90s and through today. I mean, there's just not one cohesive avant-garde to react against. And so in that way, it's hard to even know if people can make, quote unquote, bad painting anymore.
0: Yeah, what a cliffhanger. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Tune in
1: next episode to find yeah. out if we found any. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure I can still make bad painting, but we'll see. One of the interesting things about your piece also is that a lot, if not all, I think it's all of the artists who you mention are men. Yeah. You sort of told me that the new museum exhibition on bad art had a relatively more balanced gender breakdown, but why are many of the figures from bad art male?
1: Yeah. I mean, when I was writing the piece, I didn't even notice that everyone in there was male. Um, And it wasn't until one of our editors pointed out to me that I started thinking about that sort of gender imbalance. And I'm not sure if I have an answer necessarily. Um, Tess. I know you've thought about it a little bit. Well,
2: I mean, I think that there were just far fewer female artists that had any sort of recognition in general. But I also think for a woman, it would have been a real risk to kind of play around in this way and try to... um, sort of turn off the art world when it was so hard to get any visibility whatsoever and be taken seriously. Uh, I just, I think that would have been, you would have just been dismissed as not being able to produce good work. Mm -hmm. There would be no sort of recognition that this was in fact an ironic idea or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I wonder too, I guess I was also thinking about it, are there really no women who painted in this sort of style or is it just we don't have any record of them because their things disappeared completely because I mean a lot there's not a lot of scholarship on bad painting I know I'm talking about it like there is but there's really not there's like a handful of newspaper articles there's this one show because it's not a cohesive movement so I wonder if a lot of it just slipped through the cracks
0: yeah I mean it's interesting that you have a not a movement but a style sort of predicated on rejecting a lot about the artist art Art history is mainstream and even avant-garde, and yet it's still subject to all of the same sort of broader biases and gaps that any patch of art history is really subject to.
2: But there are people like Florine Stettheimer, you know, Carol Rahm, if you go a few decades later, who are completely flying in the face of what was considered to be sort of on-trend
1: Yeah, and as museums sort of rediscover these women artists and add them back into their canon, who knows, maybe they'll find some female bad painters among them, (laughs) and we'll get another show.
0: All right, what bad or not bad art are you going to be seeing in the art world this week? Tess?
2: I would like to recommend Joan Jonas's exhibition up at Gavin Brown's Enterprise up in Harlem. Um, she's taken over three floors with this sort of um, multi-panel screen installation that explores the natural world with lots of light effects. It's really immersive and ethereal. And um, there's some really nice videos of fish, which I enjoyed watching. <laughs> good,
0: sell, good sell.
2: Just videos of fish close up. They've got funny faces.
0: I love fish. Abby, why don't you tell us where you're going to be uh, drinking white wine in the art world this week?
2: This Friday I'll be going to a talk at the
1: Met that's done in conjunction with their, I guess it's a show. It's only two paintings. Caravaggio's last two paintings are on display at the Met um, next to each other. One's already in the collection, one they have on loan. They don't know how Caravaggio died. I think he had a lot of people who were after him. He killed a very important, very famous pimp in (laughs) the city that he was originally in and then fled (laughs) and then beat up a politician in another city. So he had a lot of people after him. They think he might have also just drowned. I'm um, sure this
2: is true, Abby, do we need to fact check this yeah, as we go? I'm a little sure. concerned about what allegations you're making against Anyway, Caravaggio. the Caravaggio
0: estate is going to, like, come after us.
1: <laughs> well, to sum it all up, his final two paintings before his mysterious death occurred are now on display at the Met, and you can go see them. Apparently, they're absolutely stunning in person. I don't think the pictures online do them justice.
0: And... Uh, Tess, you inspired me to change my white wine at the last minute. I'm going to be going to see Florence Stetheimer's exhibition at the Jewish Museum and if you want to learn more about who she was and what her work is kind of like any description I make will pale in comparison to the piece that Alexa wrote and published on Artsy so just check that out. All right, well, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks to Tess and Abby for joining us. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you haven't already. See you next time. Our producer this week was editorial associate Abigail Kane with assistance from Mitch Sawyer. The theme music is by Broke for Free.